Yo, it's your boy Mikey, and you are listening to Can We Keep It Real? And don't forget, check out New England Patriot Rundown, available on the Anchor Network, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Breaker, CastBox, Radio Public, so many more. And if you want to talk that shit, hit me up. Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real, keep it authentic, and keep it a hundred. We're going to get into this show and let you motherfuckers know. Yo, thanks for sticking around. And we're back. Part two more Bobby Bostic talk. You know, um, we're going to have a lot of stuff on Bobby Bostic, the juvenile correction. I mean, I really put some... Recording down, some content down on tape, man, but I got a lot of content for you. I mean, somebody should have a lot of content when it comes to the juveniles. We really need to kind of push them in the right direction, and we're talking about that today. And, And I think that after the juveniles are arrested, if we can't prevent them from being arrested, it could start in the courtroom with the prosecutors, Like I said in the previous segment, prosecutors are pretty much the gatekeepers of justice. They hand out sentences. They can advocate for opposed treatment. Um, Whether you can get incarcerated, long deals, and negotiate deals. But the need for reform with kids and young adults, it's far deeper than just getting rid of crazy sentences like the one Bobby Bostic is now serving. 241 years is that not a long time of a sentence even for robbery i mean that's a long time you didn't kill nobody prosecutors are in the business relying on evidence so if you look at let's take juveniles teenagers young adults whatever you want to call them right scientific evidence often challenges a lot of practices not only do do we know that that kids' brains are much different. We also know that kids and young adults, they often age totally out of crime, according to, uh, to a poll. We know that there ain't no magical age where kids end and their adulthood begins. Some people don't start maturing until they're 25. I was 27 when I started maturing. When I was fully matured, I'll let you know when I get to that point. So what do we do? I mean, even for some, the human brain, it don't mature too much later, maybe upwards to to 30. But the point is, in the 20s, 25, 26, but we know that confining youths really increases their chance of them re-entering the system. And there are more effective alternatives, better means, better things we can do. For these kids, better programs. We know that the adolescent is a window of opportunity. Young people, that's when they really define their senses. And that's when the brain experiences its last great window. Pretty much, it's a phase in life that's very ripe for second chances. And that's when pretty much, if a kid does get in trouble, that's the perfect time to reform his brain, to restructure it. Because every kid deserves a second chance. They may just come from a bad upbringing, bad neighborhood, 
And sometimes, like, you don't choose to commit crimes. Some crimes choose you. Some neighborhoods, you either got to get down or lay down. And what I mean by get down or lay down, you either got to get down with the corner thugs and do what they're doing and try to get money like they're doing, or they are going to lay you down. You look at Junior in the Bronx, similar cases like that. There was a case where there was a gang initiation, and what this guy had to do, he had to shoot a cop. So pretty much if he didn't get down and shoot a cop, he was going to get laid down. So, I mean, we got to give these kids a second chance, bottom line. Second chance comes in all kinds of shapes and forms and, and sizes. We need to reach out to our, to our political leaders. We need to let them know that the best way to get the youth out of the justice system is stop them from entering it at all totally. Let's help them stay in school. Instead, there's kids with a little bit of problem or he comes from a tough home, a tough upbringing. What public schools try to do is just pass the buck. Send them to a disciplinary school. Send them to someone that specializes in this. But if we could raise the age for youth who do enter the justice system, holistic treatment interventions really, really work. These interventions find alternatives to incarceration. Washington, D.C. is doing this. It's called ACE Diversion Program. It finds other ways to enter these kids' minds. It finds other ways, you know, to get them to a better goal instead of incarceration. And it's going to focus on repairing the harm to victims done. And also, you know... Like, where do we stop? Like, these kids are so young, and they're so harmless, and they're so ripe, man. You know, and once they get a level of defeat, sometimes there ain't no bringing these kids back. Once they feel they've been done wrong by the system, and they're raised in the inner city, in the inner city to let them think that the system's bringing them down. But, yo, it's your boy. I'll be right back. Yo, what's good? Thank you for listening to Can We Keep It Real podcast. If you want to be a guest or for promotional information, hit me up at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. Now let's get back to the program. Yo, what's good? Thank you for listening to Can We Keep It Real podcast. If you want to be a guest or for promotional information, hit me up at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. Now let's get back to the program. Hey, it's your boy Mike, and this is Can We Keep It Real. You want to be a guest, you want to reach out to me, hit me up at canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. I hope everyone's keeping it real. Keeping it authentic and keeping it a hundred, man. How's your summer so far? Today, I've been diving deep into juvenile justice reform. I look around and I see the way that, that these kids are living their life. And I see that, that the way that the direction is going. And I have to use my platform 
to say something. I have to use my platform to see if I can motivate anybody that might be listening to email me and maybe we could work together and maybe we can try to do better things and create more programs for these kids. We need to be able to rethink incarceration of young people. We need to develop more youth centers, more boys and girls club, more summer camps, more youth development centers whose goal is to keep the youth out of, out of jails and reduce incarceration. Isn't that the ultimate goal here? But for many, it's not. For many, they want to watch me fail. They don't want these kids to live a better life. They want these kids to hate the police. I don't want these kids to hate the police. I want these kids to know that the police have a job to do. And we have to respect them for the job that they do. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. Why don't we stop by, can we raise the age in which young people can be tried as adults to at least 18? Or if not, 19? I mean, you can't drink alcohol until you're 21. But we could prosecute you as an adult for some dumb crime that you committed and give you 241 years. Like, really? What kind of justice is that? I think that's some real straight fuckery there. I think we need to reform prosecutors. And I think they can really be the champions of this. The prosecutors can reflect the scientific reality that proves that young kids should not be treated like adults. But also avoid exposing these young kids to an adult criminal system that they just cannot handle. And a system that is not equipped to address with the needs of our youth. The needs of the juveniles. That will likely go right back into the friggin' system. And end up going to jail. And end up being someone's bitch. Or end up being drugs. Or end up dying one day. Or just being there for murder, robbery. How many times have we seen it? To my OGs that been in and out of the joint. How many times you go to training school with somebody. And then you guys graduated together right to the state prison. How many times you see the same cats in and out. Can we reform the youth now? Who's going to help me? Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com These reforms are not only fair... But they had a right and compassionate thing to do. These kids are our children. We're just going to turn them into savage adult criminals. That's all jail does. Jail makes you better at whatever you were doing before you went there. So I don't even want to hear that corrections corrects. No, it gives you time for corrections. Yeah, okay. You know that it costs about $150,000 a year. To incarcerate a juvenile in the United States. And think about the lifetime cost of a young person. If they get involved with the, with the criminal system. As an adult. It could reach into millions of dollars per inmate. Depending the severity of their charges. How much of that revolving door they're in. They're out. They're in. They're out. When they're in is their medical expenses. Do they need... You know, proper dental care. Um, things that we have to do 
to change these, man. It has to start right here. Why don't we take that $150,000 a year and come up with a better cost-effective system, a compassionate system, a way that we can invest in the kids and we could break the cycle from these kids going back to prison. But no. Some people would rather just see them locked up. They would call guys like Bobby Bostick an animal. Maybe when Bobby Bostick was 16. Maybe he did have some animal in him. But Bobby Bostick, through rehabilitation, was able to control the beast. He started reading. He did school. He did classes. He did everything to rehabilitate his mind. Because Bobby Bostick knew, you took my body, but you can't take my mind. He's still living with the dream that one day he will be released from the Department of Corrections. Yo, thanks for sticking with me, man. Thanks for hanging around. We're looking at the youth juvenile justice system, ways that we can fix it, ways we can overhaul it. It costs like $150,000 a year to house one juvenile offender. Why don't we take that money and put it into... Community programs, find alternatives to incarcerations, um, teach these kids ways to focus on repairing harm done to victims. Um, we need to pretty much raise the age of people that people can be tried as adults. Vermont actually took it a, a lot farther. They became the first state in more than a hundred year history of America's youth court systems to enact a law that will ensure that 18 and 19 year olds teenagers are prosecuted under juvenile law. We need to rethink the incarceration into these young people. We need to develop more youth center faculties, more youth development centers, more places to put these kids rather than building more juvenile detention centers. I think we need to close the juvenile detention centers. What reform do they actually do? Are they really correcting? Are they really doing the right thing? Or are they just using these kids as cattle? Are they getting that $150,000 a year on average to incarcerate a juvenile? Are they looking at it as dollars and cents. But the evidence is clear. Children and young adults are totally different. The justice system has to do a better job. And prosecutors can lead the way. Like I said earlier. They are the gatekeepers. They're the ones that can make the difference in a juvenile's life. They're the ones that can make a difference in the teenager's future. They could, you know, by just one decision, they could turn this kid into a life gangbanger. They could set his murder date without them even knowing it. Or they could turn this kid in on a way to a promising future that all young people should have the opportunity to have. So prosecutors can really work together to create these goals and make it more fair for these young kids to have a future. Here's what I want to know. 
What's the cost that we bear as taxpayers on youth confinement? And is there any progress in reducing confinement? And what are you doing about public safety? What taxpayers pay to incarcerated youth? Estimating the total long term of a youth confinement. The reoffending rate. These are questions that I want to know. Is there any study used to estimate the impact of youth confinement on education? What about the victim of youth? Are youths being victimized while they're incarcerated? Are you protecting them from being sexually raped, assaulted by staff and inmates? And what is the impact of a youth confinement faculty-based sexual assault? These are things that I wanted to know. So I went to Justice Policy's website. How should a community hold juvenile offenders accountable for their offending behavior? What do you guys think? Let me know. Leave a message if you're listening on the Anchor app. There's the message button. <clears throat> or you can hit me up. Email. Can we keep it real? 40 at gmail.com. Do we have to worry about public safety? And as a growing body of evidence underscores the horrible effects that the system involvement and confinement can have on, on healthy teenagers' development on their minds. Are any jurisdictions examining this evidence? Are they developing ways to divert non-serious offenders from entering the system? And are they going to improve their conditions or confinement? Like, these are things that we need to know. These are our kids of our future. Even the temporary confinement of youth offenders, does it play a role in overall public safety? I mean, a lot of these, these incarcerations, a lot of these sentences are for frivolous things. But the government has been using incarceration for both kids and adults. They've been trying to use deterrence and retribution and trying to say that it's all about correction and blah, blah, blah. But the National Research Council of the National Academics reviewed the juvenile justice policy and they actually reject of the lot, a lot of forms of the punitive punishment that these trainer schools, prisons, youth centers that they put on these kids, the punishment that they issue, some of it can be mentally horrible, the things that some of these kids are made to do. Heard stories about a teenage inmate was forced to swallow a live cockroach while the other guards laughed. Another inmate was forced to beat another inmate while guards laughed. You people think this don't go on. Well, I got news for you. It does. Locking these kids up with punitive punishment, it's harsh, it's unfair. And it's just going to increase rather than decrease. It ain't going to help public safety at all. You could bullshit somebody else with that. And you really think it's going to, you know, you guys are going to, turn these kids around and save them with the way that the system works right now nah you playing yourself 
confinement continues to be overused, 62% of the committed teenager population it was adjudicated for a nonviolent offense. At the same time, incarceration continues to have a concentrated impact on youth of color and the poor and the disabled. So when we come back, we're going to continue to raise questions about how the current overuse of incarceration is ineffective and it causes harm. And if there's other effective ways to hold young people accountable for the crimes that they committed, for the things that they, they did, but the way people treat them, and we need to prevent them from reoffending and help them transit into adulthood. Please help me with this. My name's Mikey. Hit me up. Can we keep it real? At g forty at gmail dot com. That's can we keep it real forty at gmail dot com. Hey, what's going on? You already know it's your boy Mikey Rebello, man, and uh, I jumped on this topic of juvenile reform. I don't really have a dog in the fight. I I just see what's going on, and I see how. A lot of the schools got the the school to prison pipeline, and I just think it's so unfair. It's so unnecessary. Kids are getting arrested for things that we did every day years ago for simple horse playing. The school department pretty much took the discipline away from the administrator, handed it to the police. At the end of the day, the kids don't trust anybody. And having an RSO, I think, I don't, I don't think it helps many situations. But I know there is a need for RSO officers in the school system. But having them there to arrest a lot of these kids for nonviolent offenses just to load up training schools and, and facilities, it, it's just meaningless. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree on my point, and you're more than welcome. If you want to come up here and challenge me to my point of view, hit me up. Email me. I dropped my email already. If you want to call me, 401-347-8519. Like, I am real serious about this. The more we can find youth, it has a, an immediate cost for taxpayers and communities all across the state. And taxpayers end up ultimately paying the ultimate price for youth confinement. Hundreds of thousands of dollars per day. Millions per year. I mean, there's surveys that, that say confinement in 46 states, the Justice Policy Institute, the JPI, they found that the average cost of the most expensive confinement option for a young person was $407.58 per day. $36,000 per three months, $73,000 per six months, and $150,000 per year. And the direct cost is really, it's really just the beginning. And it's just the beginning to what, you know, families pay, communities, for policy choices, for poor choices. Youth confinement imposes heavy burden on family members friends 
and some of these kids that really don't belong in these confined situations, it opens them up for assaults, exposes them to rapes, and some of them, it'll make them suicidal, and some, it'll turn some into monsters. If you broke it down state by state cost, what it costs to incarcerate a teenager, the report's going to show the impact of confining kids is not limited to just the economic part of the confinement. You have medical, you have um, care, you have upkeep of the building, you know, you, you have schools, social economics, all types of things that go into it. So pretty much the long-term cost to, conf to confine a teenager, it could add up to an additional $8 billion, $21 billion each year. Beyond the hundreds of thousands that state and local communities are already spending. Where do you think that money could be better spent? How much of that can we save? I mean, what we're spending, we could send one of these kids to Harvard School for what we pay to incarcerate them for one year. And I bet the outcome would be ridiculous. Imagine if we took the money and invested it in these kids' education. Yo, what's good? Thank you for listening to Can We Keep It Real podcast. If you want to be a guest or for promotional information, hit me up at Can We Keep It Real. 40 at gmail.com now let's get back to the program yo what's up it's your boy mikey how we doing man yo we've been like diving into this bobby bostic case juvenile corrections um the fuckery that goes on the way that that some of these juvenile um the way that some of these kids are really are really treated how some of their rights get violated here was Bobby Bossett going into court, 16 years old. He didn't know which way to go. He didn't really have any adequate legal counsel. And the kid ends up with 240-some-odd years. Who speaks up for him? The sentencing, any juvenile offender who didn't commit a murder charge to a term of that many years under which he's not even eligible for parole for 100 years, does that violate someone's Eighth Amendment? If you read Graham v. Florida, the Supreme Court said the Constitution prohibits the imposition of a life without parole sentence on a juvenile offender who did not commit homicide. While a state needs not guarantee a juvenile non-homicide offender eventual release, it may not impose a sentence that guarantees he will die without any meaningful opportunity to obtain release. The question in this case is whether the state can bypass that rule by sentencing a juvenile offender who didn't commit murder or anything to a term of this many years under which he will never be eligible for parole until he's 112 years old when he was only 16 years old. And they tell him at sentencing, you will die in the Department of Corrections. How is that not a life sentence? The Missouri Supreme Court holds that this is not a constitutional problem 
because the Graham versus Florida rule, check this out, it applies only to a single sentence of life without parole for a non-homicide offense. Not to juveniles who were convicted of 900 charges in the same crime or multiple non-homicide offenses or the ones that receive multiple fixed-term sentences. That's how they get around it. That's how they screw these kids over. But in State versus in Florida versus Graham, Graham himself committed multiple non-homicide crimes. And the constitutional flaw in Graham's sentence was not that it was um, previously like denominated life in prison without parole, or that it was imposed for like for one single act that it, that that Graham did. But it denied him any chance to later demonstrate that he is fit to rejoin society. How is that not the case in the Bobby Bostic case? How does it not deny him the right that he could fit back in and rejoin society when he don't see parole till he's 112 years old? Please, tell me that. Really, it, it's... It's all the same. We're here, the juvenile, been sentenced on multiple counts arriving out of a single day's act to a term of years, which equals out to a life sentence. And when you give someone that many years, you're pretty much intentionally guaranteeing them that they are going to die in prison. To say anything else would allow states to to just totally ignore the whole Graham premise. Whenever a juvenile, you know, action supports more than one criminal count, it is so easy to, to sentence someone to more than one criminal count. So if I was reading State vs. Graham, and I know I'm not an attorney, but I know my way around... A law library, I studied law for my own. I know how to shepherdize cases. So, but, if, but if I read this law, Florida vs. Graham, it looks so many ways that they're violating Bobby Bosdick's constitutional rights. Look, it says it right there. While a state... Needs not guarantee a juvenile non-homicide offender eventual release. It may not impose a sentence that guarantees he will die in prison without any full meaning opportunity to obtain release. He has no opportunity to obtain release. But it's kind of a catch-22 because it also says a state may not guarantee a juvenile non-homicide offender may get out. But it can't impose a sentence that he's going to die in jail. I don't know. Go figure. And the same trial judge that sentenced Bobby Bostic to die in jail was asking the court to relook the case. Was saying she was wrong. She made a grave mistake. Even his adult co-defendant, which was 18 years old at the time, of the trial at the time of the charge only received 30 years. And this dude, 16, a kid, 240 years. 
Go figure. What's up, man? What's going on? It's your boy, Mikey. How we doing, man? Is it right that schools are, are searching students' social media sites on looking for warning signs? After-school shootings around the nation where people really missed a whole lot of warning signs. Is it okay that, that a school hired a firm to scan students' social media posts for danger signals? Well, the district is paying over $10,000 a year to a Vermont-based social sentinel firm that uses software to search for keywords pointing to threats of violence, suicide, you know, other words of, of self-harm, bullying, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Would you be comfortable with this going on with, of, with your child of the school doing this? The software searches Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Meetup, even Periscope, all kind of public sites. It does not look at, at private sites, mostly, mostly a lot of public sites. But when it flags a word or phases or, or it notices like when it picks up a flag, it ends up notifying the school system's director of support services and they evaluate whether it's a true threat or a false alarm and of course the threat also goes to the uh, sheriff's deputy is alerted at well and together they probably decide if it's a friggin' threat or not it's supposed to have like thousands and thousands of keywords kill die bomb you know shit like that bomb on a plane when authorities end up getting an alarm, they say they look at the post before and after the post in question to really help them decide whether the student is a real threat or, or whether they're just having a bad day or whether they're just blowing off steam. It also searches for um, songs and lyrics to see if they could be matched with a lyric. Um, but Superintendent Todd Rist of the Orange County School Department is one of two school districts in the state using Social Sentinel. I gotta say, I mean, are there privacy concerns? I mean, but there are a lot of firms that offer to do this scan social media stuff. But it looks like Social Sentinel is focusing on schools alone. That concerns some whether the questions whether the company works invades students' privacy or not. What else can they skin? I mean, and I'm sure the ACLU is going to have something to say about this. It's going to make people think. I mean, even the sheriff voiced concerns over this as well. North Carolina has some real ongoing problems with school-to-prison pipelines. Referring to stu students from schools that get tied up in the legal system. And from data that, that these tools are often used disappropriately against students of color, race, gender, people that, that are handicapped, kids that are hard to get along with in jail. They're the ones that are focusing on this. And this tool is just going to be used more to get kids locked up, get them more in the system, see what's going on in their life. I know what the schools are thinking. They want that they want to kind of rather know before it happens than when it's friggin' stick your head in the sand too late. 
But some school districts would rather reduce their potential liability by saying, what I know can't hurt me. And if I didn't know it then, you can't put it on me now. But some people say it's brave that they're opening their eyes to we want to know. I think it's just more invasion of privacy. I think it's just more violation of people's rights. Who are you to look into my my pages? But then again, social media is open for public review. And I think that's why there really isn't no privacy concerns here. So kids in high school, elementary school, middle school, don't put nothing on your social media that you don't want your school to know. You have no more privacy whatsoever. It's your boy Mikey, man, and I'll be right back. Yo, I really got to hand it to them Chirac motherfuckers, but that's Chicago. They be getting it off and popping. Looks like six more people can be added to their debt, po- debt toll and 22 wounded across the city this weekend. Among those killed between Friday and Monday morning were a woman shot by getting carjacked, a man killed by police and shooting that set off a clash between cops and citizens. And that wasn't where it ended. It also included five teenagers under 18 getting jacked and three people over 60 years old. Harith Augustus, a 37-year-old barber, was also shot to death Saturday around the 2000 block of East 71st Street in the Southside Shore neighborhood. While police characterized that as a confrontation, police said a gun and ammunition magazines were recovered. The 59-year-old woman was shot in the back of the head by a man who tried to carjack her car while she was riding Sunday. She wasn't trying to have any of that over on the West Humphrey Park block neighborhood when a male approached the car and pulled out a gun. The driver said, hell no, pulled away, and the man fired a shot, fatally striking her in the head. As of the night, at least 1,473 people can be put on Chicago's debt toll this year. Chirac be doing it. Fewer than the last two years, though. But violence hit record levels in the city well above other years. There have been at least 264 homicides, according to Chicago News. Yo, Chirac really be putting it down. Does this story beg for second chances like no one else's, man? But thank you for joining us. I'm your boy, Mike, and this is Can We Keep It Real? Hit me up with an email, canwekeepitreal40 at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about Bobby Bostico, you have a similar story you'd like to share. But this guy, man, like, the vision for his life and what he's done to educate his mind, it got to go way beyond prison. I mean, he is incarcerated. He's probably most likely going to be there for the rest of his life. I mean, if anybody has a need for a second chance, wouldn't Bobby Bostic be eligible for that second chance? I mean, this guy just wants to be free one day. I mean, it's a sad story, but a story that got to be told. I got to let you know 
that the police, the court system, they don't care about your children. America is the only country that will sentence a teenager to die in prison and don't think he should be given an extra ch- another chance. He didn't rape anyone. He didn't kill anybody. He stole some Christmas gifts. Yes, he shot someone, but they didn't even get hurt. It wasn't even a, a deep wound. Bobby thinks he's going to be free one day, but he knows that's probably not going to happen. But until then, he just has every day of his merely surviving an existence in a prison cell for a mistake that he made when he was 16 years old. But if you would like to support Bobby Bostick's petition, the governor for a sentence reduction, you can send letters of support. You could send them to his attorney at the following address. Patricia Harrison, attorney at law, St. Louis University of Law, 100 North Tucker Boulevard, Suite 704, St. Louis, Missouri. Her phone number is 314-977-2778. And you can email Miss Patricia at pharris, the number 5, at slu.edu. That is how to get in touch with Bobby Bostic or if you want to support him trying to get, you know, the governor maybe to help him out. Um, the Supreme Court pretty much already turned their back on him. That'll be in the next segment. Um, you know, there really needs to be a second chance for Bobby Bostic, man. Free Bobby. It's your boy Mikey, man. We'll be right back. Yo, I really got to hand it to them Chirac motherfuckers, but that's Chicago. They be getting it off and popping. Looks like six more people can be added to their debt toll and 22 wounded across the city this weekend. Among those killed between Friday and Monday morning were a woman shot by getting carjacked, a man killed by police and shooting that set off a clash between cops and citizens, and that wasn't where it Ended. It also included five teenagers under 18 getting jacked and three people over 60 years old. Harith Augustus, a 37-year-old barber, was also shot to death Saturday around the 2000 block of East 71st Street in the Southside Shore neighborhood. While police characterized that as a confrontation. Police said a gun and ammunition magazines were recovered. The 59-year-old woman was shot in the back of the head by a man who tried to carjack her car while she was riding Sunday. She wasn't trying to have any of that over on the West Humphrey Park block neighborhood when a male approached the car and pulled out a gun. The driver said, hell no, pulled away. And the man fired a shot, fatally striking her in the head. As of the night, at least 1,473 people can be put on Chicago's debt toll this year. Chirac be doing it. Fewer than the last two years, though. But violence hit record levels in the city well above other years. 
There have been at least 264 homicides, according to Chicago News. Yo, Chirac really be putting it down.